Current treatments for dementia are palliative at best. What hope do we have for disease-modifying agents in the future? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host, and with me today is Dr. Gary Kennedy. Dr. Kennedy is Professor of Psychiatry and Behavioral Science and Director of the Division of Geriatric Psychiatry and Fellowship Training Program at the Montefiore Medical Center at Albert Einstein College of Medicine. Welcome to ReachMD. Thank you, Leslie. Pleasure to be with you. Gary, can you just quickly review the current state of pharmacological treatment for dementia? Leslie, it's a bit controversial depending on which country you look at it. But in the United States, there are four medications presently approved by the FDA for the treatment of mild, moderate, or severe Alzheimer's disease. Sometimes these agents are also used for mixed dementia when there's vascular problems along with Alzheimer's disease and when there's a dementia associated with Parkinson's disease. So those are the most common forms of dementia treated. What's clear from each one of the medications is about 20% of persons treated will have noticeable benefit, meaning the physician knows even if they just talk with a person on the phone or see them come right into the office, that this person has experienced an improvement with the medications. Another 40% benefit, but the benefit is not immediately apparent, by which I mean they're better off with the medication than they would be with placebo, but it's not obvious to the patient, the family, or the physician that the person's better. That leaves another 40% of persons for whom the medication, the first choice, has no benefit. If they switch to another one of the dementia medications, a minority of the persons who switch will actually benefit as well. So these agents are effective, but they don't really push the disease back or slow it down the way we would like. And which are the four meds? There's Aricep, Exelon, and Razodyne, and then Namenda. Now, does the actual mechanism of action of these meds limit the possibility that they may be disease-modifying? Probably so. Presently, we think the way these medications work, and again, this is a bit theoretical, but the way they work is to augment the action of neurotransmitters. And basically what that means is that they're boosting the neurotransmitter signal. Now, the problem is that as the disease progresses, it's not so much the neurotransmitter signal as it's the receiver that's being degraded by the process. So no matter how much you boost the signal, if the receiver is being destroyed by the illness, then obviously you're only going to have palliative effects. Mm. Something that would literally modify the course of the illness would preserve the receiver at the same time that you might be able to continue the signal. And over the long run, that would mean that the decline would be decelerated. In other words, the person's increasing disability over time associated with dementia, with the degeneration, would literally be slowed down. And how could you measure that? That's one of the problems, Leslie. If what we would most like is to have a biological marker similar to blood glucose for a person with diabetes, that we could have a simple test and say the medication has lowered this biological marker. As your audience knows, Alzheimer's disease is associated with plaques in the brain composed of an amyloid protein. If there were a way for us to simply show with a simple blood draw that the amyloid in the brain has been decreased, that would be a wonderful way to say that the medication is actually modifying the illness. Mm -hmm. 
Presently, we don't have that. So we're looking at other kinds of measures, whether it's uh, neuroimaging of the amyloid plaques, whether it's spinal fluid analyses of the amyloid plaques. It's clear that some of these changes associated with disease modification might be picked up with sophisticated neuropsychological measures, the kinds that were employed in the original studies of the drugs that are presently approved for Alzheimer's disease. Now, if the disease-modifying agents have a very large effect, obviously we don't need a terribly sensitive measure to detect that. But if their effect is relatively small, then we're going to have a problem, and it's going to take a large population or a long period of observation to appreciate the effect. Now, what kind of agents are being explored for actual disease modification in dementia? Well, there are a number that are in clinical trials, meaning human beings are being randomized to placebo or active drug. By and large, what the medications do is to alter the way amyloid is folded in the brain. So the notion being, if we can keep the amyloid from precipitating, keep it soluble, maybe the brain can clear it out and you have less damage. Uh, Other medications alter the way amyloid is processed at the cellular level again in the hope that the soluble amyloid can be cleared by the brain through natural processes. One of the problems, of course, is that our brains naturally make amyloid. It's a natural constituent in our brain components. So you have to be very careful about how that molecule is attacked inasmuch as you don't want to do peripheral damage Mm -hmm. to the central target. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Gary Kennedy. We are discussing disease-modifying agents in dementia treatment. Now, Gary, let's assume that one of these disease modifiers actually comes to be. Would the current agents to treat dementia still have a role? It's a good question, Leslie. If the disease modifiers slow the illness down, you're still going to have symptomatic problems. The analogy I like to use is Tylenol for rheumatoid arthritis. Tylenol may reduce the pain and improve the person's function, but it doesn't change the process of the illness. Nonetheless, the person being treated for rheumatoid arthritis with one of the agents that actually changes it would still take something like Tylenol to reduce the pain. Similarly, with Alzheimer's disease, the cognitive impairment is still likely to improve for that 20% of persons with the medications presently available. You would combine that, at least in theory, with the disease-modifying agents. Recall that the present agents we have don't slow the illness down, but they do push it back by about six months. So pushing it back and slowing it down would have a substantial impact on the disability associated with the illness. What's equally important is we don't have to cure Alzheimer's disease to substantially reduce the disability associated with it. We only need to push the disability back to the end of the lifespan. And once we do that with disease-modifying agents, then we may be able to eliminate the disability of the illness altogether. Now, are there sometimes unintended consequences of treating the dementia? Well, there's no free lunch for any of the treatments that Mm. we provide, whether it's psychotherapy or uh, antidepressant treatment. So one of the problems is likely to be that the agent's not going to work for everyone and that it's going to take even longer than it does with the present agents to realize that the medication, the treatment has failed the person. And that's going to lead to substantial costs, basically wasted money in an effort to try and be helpful. 
again, because I mentioned amyloid is naturally occurring, it's possible that a side effect from the medication could be problematic. And sometimes those side effects are not evident until we treated 10,000 persons or so. No, I, I had a patient today, actually, who's got pretty rapidly progressing dementia, has been on two of the currently available treatments, and didn't seem like it was doing any good, so we stopped them. And uh, since stopping them, his wife actually reports that some of his personality is back. He's not any better cognitively, obviously, but there's some life there and some fire behind his eyes. Is that something you see? I've seen that as well. And again, as I mentioned, 60% of people that are medicated with these agents, I think, benefit. But for the other 40%, not only are the agents have no benefit, but there's going to be a small minority that have a bad reaction to the medication. Mm -hmm. And there's no medication we prescribed, vitamins included, for which there's not some small percentage of persons who react in a way that, that's regrettable. Mm -hmm. If you could look into your crystal ball, what do you see in the next 10 years in our treatment of dementia? Leslie, I think there'll be a revolution in how we treat dementia over the next decade or so. And the sad fact is if we don't have our treatment structures better developed, then we're going to miss a generation of seniors falling into nursing homes because we're not prepared to implement the treatments that are going to emerge. For instance, within 10 years, disease modifiers are likely to become effective to the point where they arrest the progress of the illness, not just slow it down, but stop it. In those instances, identifying persons before they are symptomatic becomes critical. In addition, we may have stem cells. We may have ways of augmenting the naturally occurring neuronal stem cells in the brain to replace or prevent the pathology of Alzheimer's disease. So it's going to have a remarkable transforming effect. Recall that because we can identify the pathology in the brain of Alzheimer's disease, that gives us targets to hit. So you're very optimistic. And I think that's substantiated by the amount of research that's presently underway. Great. It's good to hear. Hopefully timing just as I'm in my peak years to develop dementia. <laughs> I appreciate the timing there. Yeah, for both of us, right? Well, thank you so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure. We've been discussing potential future treatments for dementia with Dr. Gary Kennedy. I'm Dr. Leslie Lent. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157 the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at reachmd.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening. 